All right, good morning. How are we doing? We good? I'm just going to pretend that we are. All right, my name is Jake. I am one of the pastors at Veritas in Iowa City, um, and it's a, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we have a Veritas Iowa City because of the vision and sacrificial giving of you, so thank you uh, for that. Um, we're, we're, we're thrilled and, and uh, just led by example for, from what you've done and, and your, your, your leadership. So we're extremely thankful, glad to be here. I'm suffering through a cold and a cough, so I hear that I'm not the only one uh, by the sound of it. But we're going to get through it today. I'm here because uh, Jeff and Mark are international leaders who are sought all over the world, and they're in Zambia right now. Uh, so I'm available. So they're like, come on down. I'd be happy to do that. Now, uh, honestly, though, they, that's where they are. Uh, but I'm so jealous of you guys so often because I look at Jeff and Mark and be like, man, I want them to be my pastor. Um, in a lot of ways they are, um, but just uh, tremendously thankful for them and glad to be here. Uh, this morning, uh, Jeff kicked off last week where actually there are, our two churches are doing a similar, or not similar, the same Advent series, and we're talking about uh, joy. Uh, so last week it started off, this week, the next couple weeks we're going to be talking about the issue or the, the virtue of joy, um, and this is a... It's a, a, a I would say a popular topic. I mean, I don't care who you are, where you're at with faith and, and, and Christ and everything. Like, you want joy. And joy is something we all want. It's something that often we feel gets, uh, even if we have it for a little bit, it gets stolen. Like, you hear people say, like, they stole my joy or that circumstance stole my joy. Like, we don't know quite how to hang on to it as long as we would like to. Um, joy can be a frustrating topic, uh, especially just with social media and things, because um, we're often caught up in comparisons of like, we see what someone else has, or we see what someone else's situation is. Uh, we find ourselves comparing ourselves to them, and we feel like, I don't, I'm not as joyful as I should be, so maybe it's like, I don't want to talk about joy. It's just revealing in me like, I don't, I don't have what I want. Um, and we can tend to associate joy with, um, with stuff. Uh, if, I, if I had that, then I would be more joyful, or we could associate joy with circumstances. Like, if I can only, like, get that job, then, then I'll be joyful. Or if I can only get that relationship, then I'll be joyful. If I can only get out of this relationship, then I'll be joyful. Like, whatever it may be, it's a, it's a material thing or it's a circumstance um, that we associate with joy or with just uh, the idea of fun and pleasure, um, which we associate that with uh, rebellion sometimes. Like, let's just go out and have a good time. Like, forget what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do. Let's just go have fun, right? Like, fun is connected to doing bad things or wrong things, and we need to pursue that for our joy. Um, but, but the interesting thing, uh, or maybe for some reason, maybe the biggest lie the enemy has ever told, hopefully it's not one you've bought into, but when you think of God and you think of Christianity or you think of obedience to God and obedience in Christianity, joy doesn't tend to come to mind. What tends to come to mind is uh, this obligation, I ought to, I should, but, but not, a, not a joy. We don't, we don't tend, our mind doesn't tend to go there. But listen to me, our God is a joyful God. Yeah. And our God takes your joy very seriously. In fact, there's a passage, we're not going to, we'll, we'll come back to it towards the end, but uh, when I think of joy, this is the one of the passages that, that most comes to my mind. This is in John chapter 15, and Jesus is talking, and he says to them this, he says, these things I've spoken to you. Now, 
We're just jumping into that. These things that he's spoken to them. He's talking about abiding in me and um, obeying my commandments. Like if you, you need to stay close to me and you need to obey what I've told you. And he said, these things that I've spoken to you, that my joy. So you're saying, I have a joy. Like I, I have joy that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Like, I have a joy that is better than your joy, but I want you to have my joy. And if you had my joy, you, you, your joy would be full. Like, Jesus is about our joy. Joy is an essential part of the Christian life. In fact, uh, the most repeated command in the Bible is to rejoice, to give thanks, to praise, or to be joyful. Now, it's wild to think about, but more than anything else, God commands us to be joyful. Let me think about that. More than anything else in the scripture, God commands us uh, to, to be joyful. You, you ever try that? You ever try to command somebody to be joyful? Maybe if you have teenagers you had, right? Like snap out of it, cheer up. Like you, you have a friend, like be happy. Like you just want to, you know, yell them into joy. You're frustrated. Like you're trying to command an emotion out of somebody else. That's like, how do you, how do you command joy? And whenever you do that, what tends to be the pushback? I don't feel like it, right? Be joyful. I don't feel like it, right? And I, I can't help it. I feel how I feel. This is how I feel. I'm just being honest with my feelings, and this is how I feel. And often we tend to feel like we're passive, or we act like we're passive uh, or powerless to our feelings. This is how I feel. And yet, this feeling and this emotion of joy is something that God commands us to have. So how do you pursue joy when you don't feel like it? Or how do we do the, the hard work of cultivating joy in our lives when we don't feel like it's there? Or maybe you can put it this way, how do you go about finding joy when you feel like you've lost it? You know that frustrating feeling of losing something, like your keys or your phone, like you just, you're just like, I know it's somewhere, you just, you're just like disrupts your whole day, or you just, you're like, I, I can't function until I find it, like it seems like every week we have to look for my wife's phone until eventually we call it and her pocket rings, like you've been there. <clears throat> uh, this fast, the last couple weeks, my wife had a brilliant idea um, of we need to watch less TV, especially over the holiday season, which that's something I should say yes to, but um, I struggled with that because I, I love to just kind of shut off and watch TV. But she says, here's what's going to help. We're going to do a puzzle together as a family. Um, I thought, it's like, this is relaxing. We can sit and, and do a puzzle together. That's not relaxing. It's stressful. Like everything's a mess everywhere and you have to put it together. And I was like, you guys go ahead. I'm not going to do it. But then I sat down. I was like, no, I need to do this. And I could not step away until this was done. Like it was consuming. It was stressful. Like we got to find all the pieces. We got to get this thing together. Nobody do anything until this puzzle is done. It's like a task. It wasn't relaxed at all until um, we put every piece together except one. We could not find one puzzle piece. And it drove me nuts until last week I found it in my pocket of one of my jackets. It's like the most rejoiceful thing. Like we found the puzzle piece, right? But you have this frustrating feeling when, when you lost something and you don't know where it's at. Well, what if the thing that you've lost is joy? How do you find that? Like you're not going to find joy in the, the couch cushions. How do you go about finding joy? And to do that, we've got to better understand joy. What is it? What's a cheap knockoff of it? How do you lose it? How do you find it? 
Like we need a better grasp joy in order to find it and, and to start out. Um, we're going we're gonna to start with a definition. Now, this definition is misleading, but it is a, it is a starting point. Uh, this is how Webster uh, defines joy. It says this, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. That's Webster's definition. It's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And if that's the definition, if that's how we're defining joy, then it would make sense to see how so many people in our world are pursuing joy. Well, if it's the well-being and success, then for my joy, I need to chase after success because my joy is connected to that. Or if it's connected to, to good fortune, if it's an emotion evoked by good fortune, then I need to try to get good fortune because that's how I find joy. And everybody's looking for joy. Or, or if, it's, if it's possessing what I desire, then I just need to chase after my desires because that will lead me to joy. And that's how so many people chase after joy. But what if you desire the wrong things? Then getting those things are not going to be good for your joy. Maybe there's more to joy than we realize, and maybe there's a, a misunderstanding on how to go after it. See, everybody wants joy, but there is some real confusion about where real joy is found. This morning, I want to offer just a, a, a different perspective to have when it comes to your joy and pursuing your joy. We're going to look at a time when someone lost joy and see how they lost it, and see how they went about getting it back. And if you've been around uh, church world long enough, you're familiar with this story. If not, this is going to be new to you. Um, but there, there's a, a big uh, character in Scripture, uh, David, King David. So before David was king, he, he was a modest upbringing. Uh, he, was, uh, he had a lot of older brothers, and he was a shepherd. Well, this shepherd eventually became king of Israel. Long story, read your Bible, tremendous story. But when he was king of Israel, he was a successful king. He was a prosperous king. He was a conquering king. He was a wealthy king. He was a loved king. And there was one time later on in his rule of his kingdom uh, when things were going well and most of his kingdom was established and conquering. There were still some, some lands and some people they were battling against. And he sent his army out to, to conquer and fight against the, this people group. Um, but he didn't go with them. Now, he should have gone with them as a king. That was his role. But he was like, hey, I've done my time. I've kind of earned the right to just rest, and I can just give commands, and you guys go take care of business. And he stayed back at the castle. And when he was doing that, there was a day where he was out walking upon the top of his castle, looking over his kingdom, and he sees Bathsheba, a woman on top of another house, taking a bath. And he says, I want her. Right? And he's king. And when you're king, you tend to get what you want. So he called, he sent for Bathsheba, and Bathsheba came, and the two of them, they got into some trouble, and she got pregnant. And now it's like, oh no, I'm going to be caught. Like, she's a married woman, and her husband's at the battle that he should have been at. So he's like, how do I get out of this, right? So he calls Uriah, her husband, back. He's like, hey, you've been working hard. Take a weekend off. Enjoy your wife. Then go out back out to battle. He's like, no, right? Women weaken legs. That's more rocky than scripture. Um, but he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> to, based on the chuckles, you guys have not watched Rocky too much. Um, 
He's like, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. Like, nobody else gets that kind of treatment. So he just, he just goes back to battle. So David's like, oh, that didn't work out. So he tells the commanders, like, put Uriah in the, in the toughest parts of the battle on the front line. Just kind of leave him to die. And that's what he did. And, and, and Uriah was killed. So David's like, okay, sweet. I got away with it. Now, now he can take Bathsheba as one of his wives. Like, this, this all worked out. He got what he desired and he got away with it. Now, you would think, based on Webster's definition, he should be rocking the joy. Like, I, I'm successful. I have well-being. I'm safe in my castle. I, I have good fortune. And I got what I desired. Like, he should be rocking the joy, but that is not how he felt. Um, we, we, get a, we get a look at how he was feeling. There's two psalms written about David's emotions during this time. One was made into a song for, for a choir to sing. So you can imagine if you blew it, and they're like, hey, let's all sing about it forever, right? But um, they wrote the, these songs that kind of express what's going on. And we're not going to work through both of these psalms. This is more like an investigation for joy. Like we want to look at the situation, what David is saying, what scripture is saying in these two psalms uh, for the purpose of our own pursuit of joy. So uh, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start in Psalm 32 because it expresses kind of his emotions in this time. If you look at verse 3 in Psalm 32, this is what David says. For when I kept silent, he's talking about what he, what he had done. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Like he was feeling guilt. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Like stop and think about that. David, king, loved king, prosperous king, rich king, conquering king. I mean, he should, be, he should be on top of his game with joy, and yet his joy is gone. He's like, I, I, I'm just zapped, like the heat of a summer day, like your hand is heavy upon me. I have no joy. Why? If he seems to so fit Webster's definition of joy, why is he joyless in this time? Because joy is not it's not the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. Or the possession of your desires, if your desires are wrong. David got what he desired. Bathsheba, I want her. I got her. And yet his joy was robbed. It was taken from him. He didn't, he didn't find joy in that. He found regret. And we've all probably experienced this on various levels. Even when you think, of, like, just last night, I experienced this. Like when it comes to food, like I've been trying to lose weight for like 20 years. I know it doesn't look like it, um, but that's kind of been where I've been at. And it's like coming off of Thanksgiving, you got these new goals, right? And what I desired last night was ice cream, peppermint ice cream. And I, I have a son that can drive, so I was like, go get me some peppermint ice cream, right? <laughs> it's all mob style, you bring out the cash, get yourself something too, like just bring it, bring it back to me, right? That's what I desired. And did I just kind of have a cup? No, I had like three bowls, right? I got what I desired. And did that lead to, no, it led to regret, right? Like, what was I thinking? Like, why did I do that? Like, we've, we've experienced that. We've kind of like, we, like we chase our desires only to find how empty they, they leave us. Now, now think about this. What if when it comes to your joy, you can't even trust your own desires, 
Like just because I want something, just because I crave it, just because I desire it, doesn't mean it's good for me and doesn't mean it's going to lead to my joy. And if you can't even trust your own desires and your pursuit of joy, how will you go about looking for it? This is a problem. Because right now, what our world tells us is that your main navigational beacon for your joy is your heart. You just trust your heart. You just follow your desires. You do what you want, and that's going to lead to your happiest life. The problem is, what we see in David is David got exactly what he desires, and it wrecked his joy. So maybe there's a better navigational beacon for you to follow than your own heart when it comes to your joy. And what I want to offer is a a bigger perspective that we need to have when it comes to our own pursuit of joy. Like when we have a bigger perspective, we make better choices. So let's let's look at it this way. Let's say uh, you lost your keys or or, um, you lost your keys and you, you were or you were someone trying to help somebody else find their keys. What, what's a, the, the question that tends to get asked in that situation is like, well, where did you last have them, right? This is, we're going to start there. Like, we, gotta, we don't know where it's at. We don't know where to find it. You've lost this. Where did you last have them? Let's, let's go. Let's retrace our steps. So when was the last time that we, I'm not saying we in this room, but, but we as human beings, right? We're going for a bigger perspective here. Like more than just kind of our situation, our little reality. Like let's really back up and get a big perspective here. When was the last time that we, we as human beings, had perfect joy? When was the last time that we had uh, desires that weren't corrupt? Now, according to the Bible, and I don't know where you're at with the Bible, but you're at church, so you're going to get this perspective, right? According to the Bible, this book is the story that we find ourselves in. Like, this book gives our life context. It answers big questions about who we are. Why are we this way? Like, what is life about? And according to this book, when we were made by God, it was good. And we were made to be with him and connected to him. And it was good. Sin got introduced to the story. When I say sin, I'm like this rebellion or disobedience from God. And it's interesting, the way that sin got introduced is through this temptation to our own desires. It just happened to be through food as well. Like here, here's some fruit. This will make your life better. This is going to improve your situation. You're going to want this. The problem is it had to do with rebellion from God, not obedience to him. And people bought into that. And what that did is that broke this relationship we were designed to have with God. It fractured it. It damaged it. It broke, broke trust. It broke what we were made for. And when that happened, there was this separation from what was intended. And then death entered the world. And, and, and guilt and shame and regret. Things not known before. Uh, pretty soon there was the first murder Then you had all kind of division and dysfunction. And and this is like explains where we're at today. You think of it like this. Sin uh, is a joy killer because it separates us from the joy giver. Sin is a joy killer because it separates us from the joy giver. That's ultimately the problem that happened. Like we were separated from our maker who we find our joy in. It's interesting, sin, sin, think of it this way, sin is a liar 
that with one cookie can lead you away from an entire buffet. And that's exactly what happened. With one piece of fruit, you got led away from an entire garden. And we will trick and we'll deceive. And the thing is, David knows this. Like he even identifies that as the problem. Look at Psalm 51. This is what he says. Verse 3. For, for I know, this is what I say, like, I know this. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's saying, my, the issue that I'm struggling with here is my, the way that I'm feeling like robbed from joy is a sin problem. Like my sin has affected my joy. And now if the pushback is like, wait a second, Jake, are you saying that every time I feel joyless in my life, that's a sign that I got some major sin going on in my life? Th- this is what I'm saying. I'm saying we are all sinners. All of us are dealing with with guilt and pride and insecurities and envy and greed and lust all the time. And for us to take joy seriously, our pursuit of joy is going to need to involve a constant dealing with sin in our life. Acknowledging it, confessing it, repenting of it. Like if sin is a joy killer because it, it, it separates us from the joy giver, then we ought to take our sin seriously. And the reason or the motivation we take our sin, for taking our sin seriously is to get back to the joy giver. It's our closeness to our Father. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's saying, this, this has to do with me and you. Now, other people were affected by David's sin. Like Bathsheba was affected, Uriah was affected, his whole kingdom was affected, like his family begins to crumble after this. Like a lot of people were affected by his sin. But what David is doing is boiling it down to like, here's the root issue. Like I, I lost a satisfaction in you. I lost a trust in you. Like I ultimately sinned against you and my sin has all kinds of different consequences and effects on other people. But, but this boils down to you. Like ra- rather than, than saying I'm satisfied in you, I said I went looking elsewhere and I want Bathsheba rather than obedience to you. I trust my own desires and passions for my joy than what you've told me to do in obedience to you. He's, he's acknowledging like this is where I went wrong. Like this, this is where it broke down. Look what else he says. It says for against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Here's what's going on. Notice, notice the contrast that's, that's happening here. He's saying, I'm a sinner, you're blameless. I'm a sinner, you're, you're blameless. You delight in truth and I'm telling lies. I'm, I'm like hiding the truth. His joy problem is a not being right with God problem. He's like, here's this big gap between the two of us. We are very different. Like, I'm not in line with you. This is the problem. And if his joy problem is not being right with God problem, how do you go back, go about getting joy again? Got to be restored back to God. Look what he says in uh, verse 1 and 2 of this, this psalm. He says, this is his request. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my, from my sin, and cleanse me from, from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He said, my sin has separated me from you, and I need you. So, so deal with my sin for the sake of my joy, so that I can have you. You go down to verse 7, he continues to kind of plead this. 
Uh, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Like he's asking God for joy. Because this is what I realized. Like I thought that I could find joy apart from you doing what I wanted. And now I realize joy comes from you. And I'm at, would you let me hear joy? You're the keeper of joy. Would you allow me to hear it again? He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's what David is saying. What I need for my joy is you. Like, cast me not from your presence. That, that's where I find joy. I thought I could find it elsewhere. I thought I would just follow my desires and get whatever I wanted, but it robbed me of joy. And now I realize joy will not be found in rebellion from you, but obedience to you. It will not be found apart from you, but in you. So don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Like give me, give me yourself again. Like restore this relationship that we had before. My sins separated me from you, the source of joy. Therefore, I need mercy. I need you to blot out my transgressions. I cover them. I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to create me a new heart. Uh, Like, fix this. I need you to renew me. I need you to not take your spirit from me. Like, give your spirit to me. And I need you to restore the joy, the joy of your salvation. And what David is saying is, I need saved. I can't undo what I've done, but I need forgiven. I need mercy. Like, I need you to save me. And get this, his, his request for salvation isn't so much about where he's going to spend eternity. It's about his joy right now. Like, I need your forgiveness for my joy. I need your mercy so that I can have you again in an intimate way, and that's where I find joy. That's his, that's his request. Listen, it takes a savior to restore joy to a sinner, and it takes confession and repentance for a sinner to reach out to a savior. Go back to Psalm 32. Um, this is what he says. We'll read a little bit more. It's just for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Here's what happens. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Like, pause and think of that. Like, all that David had done, all that David's rebellion had happened, he still found grace and forgiveness in God. Like this reminds, like we get the, the famous passage in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's exactly what David's asking for. Cleanse me, forgive me, like wash me, like blot out my transgressions. He's saying, I reached out to you as a sinner for, for grace and forgiveness and I found it. And then he starts off the Psalm uh, 32. This is verse one and two in, in chapter 32. He says this, blessed, or another translation is happy. Happy is the one 
whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed or happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. David is testifying as a sinner who lost joy and found it again. He said, I found it in the grace of God. I chased this thinking that I could find it outside of God and I'll just follow my desires and I'll satisfy myself by giving myself whatever I want because I'm in a position to do that. And I came up empty. And I realized that joy is found in God. He returned to God and found his joy. And if that's the case, like if we believe this account, then we ought to be confessing our sins like our joy depends on it. We ought to be pursuing God like our joy depends on it. Because it does. It does. Guys, David's joy. You, now, you got to get this because this is so countercultural, okay? So listen up. David's joy did not come through his prosperity. It did not come through his popularity. It did not come through his success or well-being. And it certainly did not come from him possessing what he desired. David's joy came from his relationship with God. And when sin got in the way of that, grace, mercy, and forgiveness restored it. You, you can put it this way. Restoration of joy takes reconciliation with God. Restoration, with joy, uh, restoration of joy takes reconciliation with God. That's the whole joy to the world part of Christmas. Like Christmas is about reconciliation with God. Like the, we, we get reconnected with our joy giver. Like it's the, it's the most, you know, wonderful time of the year, right? Often it's a stressful time, but we're like, this is a joyful time. But when we get to the mean of Christmas, not the stress of Christmas, but the meaning of Christmas, it truly is the most wonderful time of the year. It's like, what did God get you for Christmas? Himself. That's the best part. Like, look, look at uh, Luke chapter 2. I think we'll have these on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, famous Christmas passage. Even if you've never read it, if you've watched Charlie Brown's special, you've heard Linus recite it. Uh, this is how it started. It says, and the angel said to them, this is the pronouncement, the angel's talking to shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? That was so depressing. <laughs> Great joy. All right. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And what do sinners need for joy? They need a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? Who's the Messiah that's been promised? Now, uh, we, we need the Savior. And it is this good news of who he is and what he's come to do that's going to bring us joy. But he's a Savior from what? You go to Matthew chapter 1, another kind of famous Christmas passage. Um, this is it. But, but as he considered these things, he is Joseph. And these things that he's considering are, uh, I'm engaged to Mary. She's knocked up. I didn't do it. So I got some things to think about, right? He's saying, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for or because he will save his people from their what? Sins. That's why he came. To save his people from their sins. Listen, sin is a joy killer because it separates you from the joy giver. But Jesus is a sin forgiver that reconciles you back to the joy giver. 
Like he, he gives us God. We, we get God again because of Christ. Listen, as sinners, a holy God will not tolerate our sin. Will, will not tolerate our sin. And we deserve, as sinners, justly, his wrath. Like we, we, we are in desperate need for mercy. We're in desperate need for him to blot out our transgressions. We're, we're in desperate need for him to wash us, to clean us, to create in us a new heart. Like don't take your spirit from us. Like give us your spirit. <laughs> Give us this joy of your salvation. I mean, that, that is the position we're in, but, but listen to me, you gotta get this. We don't just need saved from the wrath of God. We also need saved to the joy of God. Do you get that? We don't just need saved from the wrath of God. We also need saved to the joy of God. God is the prize. Because of Jesus, we get God. That's what we have to grasp. See, as sinners, holiness will destroy us. We, we, we cannot be in the presence of holiness and God's glory as sinners. It, it will destroy us. But if you take sin out of the picture, like if our sins were blotted out and taken away and we were washed whiter than snow, now, get this, now the holiness of God is no longer something to be feared, but something to be enjoyed. And there's no joy like the holiness of God and being right with him. We were made for that. Like because of Christ, we, we get the Father. With God is joy. He's the prize. There's, there's joy overwhelming and everlasting, which means our fight for joy is our pursuit of God. So it's like, how do we go about looking for, for joy and doing the hard work of cultivating joy when we don't feel like it's in our life? Pursue God. Confess sin, chase after God, like restore this close relationship. Like our pursuit of joy is our pursuit of God. So when Jesus says in John 15, when he says, hey, these things that I've spoken to you that are about abiding in me and obeying me and staying close to me, like I'm telling you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, we have to ask the question, what is his joy? What is his joy that he wants us to have? Well, if you keep reading in that, in that text, it's his relationship with the Father. Because he's saying, hey, I want you to abide in me as I abide in the Father. Like, I am your way to the Father. I'm abiding in the Father. You abide in me. And this is how you get the Father. And you need to get the Father because the Father is awesome. You need to experience the Father. You need to be close to the Father. You need to grasp the Father. In the Father, there is a joy that you have no idea about, but I'm your way to that joy. And you stay in me because I'm connected to the Father. God's the prize. God is the prize. C.S. Lewis has a, a very famous quote. Perhaps you've heard before, but he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. He says, that's your joy problem. We too often settle. David was offered God but rather he stayed in the palace to make mud pies. And then he tasted it. He said, what have I done? Nothing is better than God. Nothing is more satisfying than God. 
It's through the gospel and through Jesus Christ. Just listen to me. Every one of us has this invitation to a closeness to God, to enjoy the glory of God and to be close to our maker. Yet so often we chase after other things more than God. Believing this lie that will do a better job at bringing us joy than God will. Guys, our fight for joy has to be a pursuit of God. Because God is awesome. And we were made for him. So listen, listen, for the sake of our joy, for the sake of our joy, we need to have a bigger view of God. None of us are kings where we're going to kind of stroll on top of our palace and look out and just be able to get whatever we want. But during this holiday season and beyond in all of life, there's going to be a lot of things dangled in front of your eyes that you think, that'll make me happy. But for the sake of our joy, we have to see God as our treasure. For the sake of our joy, we have to understand that our joy comes through our closeness, our abiding, and our obedience to God. I pray, this is my prayer for just all of our churches in this time, that we would pursue God like our joy depends upon it. Like we would look at God and we see, he's my source of joy. That's where I'll find satisfaction. And if we could do that, listen, I'm telling you, there is nothing Nothing more glorifying to God than his people in the midst of a materialistic world desiring him most of all. May we be those people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And you loved us when we were in the midst of our sin, while we were yet sinners. You declared your love for us that your love is stronger than our rebellion and you chase after us. And I pray just as a confession of myself in this room for when so often we chase after other things more than you, thinking other things can satisfy us better than you when we were made for you. You are our source of joy. You came to bring joy to the world through Jesus Christ, your son, because you reconcile us back to you yourself, the joy giver. Pray this in your name. Amen.